Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, I I simply present myself as your vessel here in this moment, and I, I pray simply that we would all hear what you're saying to our hearts. For those of us in this room and those who are tuned in through Facebook Live or or Meta Live, whatever it is now, and those who will hear the recording, we pray for your inspiration, Holy Spirit. We want to know your love. We want to love you and love others with excellence. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we're... We're in Luke 24. We're looking at the road to Emmaus. Last week I shared, and, and this is on the, uh, oh, by the way, the notes are always on our website. So I, I haven't handed out physical notes in a couple weeks, but they are on our website right now. If you want to look uh, at them as I go through them, or if you want to look them up later for further Bible study, they're out there. But last week's message, the emphasis was how you know, on the road to, Tima- uh, road to Emmaus, these two travelers are going, they're walking, and Jesus kind of sneaks up on them, and he was near them, but they didn't know. And so I shared about how we go through seasons where we feel like Jesus is not near, but he really is. He's doing things in our life. There's, there's road to Damascus experiences where we know he's there and it's powerful, But we don't just serve the Jesus of the road to Damascus. We also have the Jesus of the road to Emmaus who kind of sneaks up and is covert and kind of surfaces questions in us that need to be addressed to go to the next uh, part of our journey in the Christian walk. So that was last week. And uh, I tell you, this iPad wants to, it it wants attention. That's for sure. (laughs) It keeps turning off. Um, But this week, the emphasis is not going to be so much uh, on how near the Lord can be when we don't feel it. Really, the theme tonight is is more about hope and how we can have a wrong kind of hope, but I'm I'm still calling it Revelation on the Road to Emmaus. (laughs) So let me just read a little bit of the story because I know we all know it, but I just want to do a quick recap I'm going to cut in about halfway through the story here. We know they're walking, they're kind of talking about what's happened, and then this, quote, stranger sneaks up on them. And he's, the stranger starts asking questions, and Cleopas even says, are you the only stranger who doesn't know what's going on? Jesus knew it was going on. But again, he's servicing questions. We get to verse 21, and Cleopas says to you know the stranger, they don't know who, it's the Lord, he says, we were hoping, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that he had also, they'd also seen a, a vision of angels who said he was alive 
And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, O slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then it says he does a real good Bible study with them, begins at Moses and all the prophets, expounds to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Then a uh, <clears throat> neat part of the story, Jesus kind of says, well, I, hey, I'm going to keep going. But they say, no, stay with us. And so he stays and they find out it's him. Then he vanishes. Such a neat, unique story. And it kind of makes you go, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just kind of, you know, just explain everything clearly? Why do the whole sneak up and ask questions? And really what I want us to begin to think about tonight is how the road to Emmaus in many ways sheds light on the whole of the Christian journey. Because the whole journey isn't like we're confused and so Jesus appears to us and gives us the direct answer. We kind of want there to be road to Damascus-like experiences like every couple weeks when we're confused and Jesus shows up and knocks us over and says, I'm the Lord and here's what you're to do like he did for Paul. But that doesn't happen a lot in the Christian journey. What happens mostly is we're kind of going about our life, we're trying to process what's happening and the Lord comes by us, and we might not even know it's him, and he starts to surface things, starts to reveal himself in new ways and teach us. That's really how it happens. And so we learn to appreciate not just the powerful moments, like when Paul was, or Saul, it was. I mean, Saul and Paul is used interchangeably in the New Testament. But Saul has this powerful conversion encounter but he didn't have that every day or week or month. That was, that was just to kind of get him in the door. Uh, for, for most of our lives, we're going to have these subtle kind of un, not sure if that was the Lord, but then we like look back and go, that was the Lord, kind of like these guys did. And so again, that's sort of the, the way I want to approach it tonight is, is just thinking about this journey um, as, as sort of the, the whole of our Christian experience, we don't always know he's there, but he's there. And we're not always sure why we're asking ourselves certain questions, but he's surfacing them. And we're not always exactly, you know, I think this is supposed to happen, but it didn't happen the way I thought. And we look back and we, you know, we find out we were a little off and Jesus helps us to get through these things. I look at the disciples of the New Testament and I think they got so much wrong, but Jesus still helped them get through everything. It gives me confidence that I can miss it a few times and know he's not going to give up on me. How many know we're not going to have 100% on our theology score when we get to heaven? I mean, Jesus did. <laughs> Paul might have gotten like a 98. You know, when you write Romans, you get a pretty high score in most of the, the letters. But most of us are going to kind of scratch our heads a lot. And I'm just thankful that we have someone who will sneak up on us in the journey and go, what are you guys talking about? What's, what's, what's up with that? That's how the Lord leads. Again, I wish sometimes he would just kind of appear and say, Derek, do one, two, three, do this. And okay, Lord, 
But he, he wants the relationship more than just to be directive like that all the time. And so there are times where he shows up, knocks us onto the ground and says, I'm the Lord, stop persecuting my church. You know, he does that. But he also kind of says, okay, I, wanna, I want you to learn there's other parts to me and I want to I interact with you in those ways too. Now in the house of prayer movement in general, it tends to be a, a very charismatic or Pentecostal stream and those of us who consider ourselves charismatic or Pentecostal, we kind of think when God moves, it's powerful and it's discernible and we feel it and we get knocked over. Well, that, he does that, but there's so many other things that he does. And I want us to understand that not everything is knocked over on the road to Damascus. There's a lot of um, he just kind of whispers to your heart and wants you to pay attention. And so don't limit yourself. Some people are the whisper kind and some people are the audible voice, powerful, you know, I need, he's all of them. And so we want to be able to recognize like Elijah did. Remember the story of Elijah where he said, you know, he wasn't in the, the thunder or the, you know, whatever. He was in that, that little whisper. He's in those. So we got to learn to, to pay attention. And I think that he was training these men in this way. Let's go look at verse 21 because Cleopas says an interesting thing. He says to the stranger, which happened to be Jesus, you know, you know we, were, we were really hoping that this guy that died three days ago was going to redeem Israel. That was what we had set our hope on. And the thing is, Jesus is going to redeem Israel. <laughs> the Romans is quite clear that all Israel will be saved. There will be uh, a, a huge amount of Jewish people that accept the Lord before he comes back. But what Cleopas didn't understand is that it wouldn't happen immediately. Okay, so Cleopas was thinking, man, this is the guy. This is the king. He is going to just take over and kick Rome out and we're going to, it's going to be the thing we wanted. And it was, but not in the way he thought. And so this is what happens and uh, again, I could, I think, devote the entire message to this thought that Cleopas had an insufficient understanding of how the Christ would redeem Israel. And let me explain that. There is a redemptive plan, right? God has a redemptive plan, but it spans 2,000 years. They didn't know that back then. They're just thinking, this is the Messiah, this is what was prophesied, he's going to take over and we're going to be, it's, this is it, this is the one, this is the revival. And Jesus is thinking, no, I have a plan that spans millennia. I want to, I want to invite in Gentiles, I want, to, I, want, I want this thing to go on for thousands of years so billions of people come to know me. Cleopas is just thinking, I want it now. And so his hope was a very narrow, inflexible hope. He had his hope set on the right things in one sense. He wanted Jesus to redeem Israel, and Jesus will redeem Israel, but the plan's different. And how many of us, we kind of think we know the playbook, and God's got a different playbook. And when he operates out of his playbook instead of ours, we kind of get like, well, why'd you do that? <laughs> well, because I, I, I'm God. <laughs> And, I, and he's just thinking over millennia. He's thinking billions of people, and we're thinking, but I want my life to get better now. 
And so we have to recognize that is our tendency as Cleopas was like, the reason why he was sad, as the scriptures say, and he was disillusioned is because he didn't have the full orbed understanding that all of scripture gives us. He was thinking very, I, I just, I hope it's now. And it was now in part, but not in fullness. It was fullness is coming yet future when Jesus comes again in glory and there's a worldwide revival and Jew and Gentile uh, worship Jesus and you know every nation begins to call on the name of the Lord. That day is yet ahead, but it was a partial fulfillment. And so we have to understand that sometimes we do this in our journey like Cleopas did. We kind of put our hope into, I hope the revival comes and, and then it tarries. Or I hope I'm healed because someone prophesied it and it tarries. Or I, I hope my prayers answer because I felt it that night. I really did. And we, we kind of create like these Cleopas sort of systems of belief that are they're good, but if they don't happen, we just have to acknowledge God's doing something different. I, I, I run into a lot of people who they're very hurt and they're disillusioned. They even feel a sense of betrayal that God didn't send the revival that, that they thought was supposed to happen. He's got a different playbook. You know, we, we tend to kind of get into that. These, it says they were sad. You know, they thought it was going to happen a certain way and it didn't because God's got a bigger, better plan than what we're thinking. And it usually... Is, is much longer than we're thinking. We, you know, we, when we're young, someone talks about revival and we, in our youth, are like, yeah, it's going to happen now. Or someone gives us a prophetic word about something in our life and we're thinking, it's probably going to be in a month. God's thinking 10, 20, 30 years, end of our life kind of stuff. Or, or even beyond us to the next generation, we're just so thinking, it's going to happen now. And so we have to begin to understand, we'll always be sort of hurt and disillusioned if we don't have somewhat of what I'm calling like a flexible or broad understanding of hope that God is going to do things different than what we're thinking in many ways. And so just kind of put that in your mind that, yeah, I do want revival, but if it doesn't happen on my time frame, it's okay. God's got something better. If... Um, you know, I believe for healing in my life and I believe the prophetic words will be fulfilled or fill in the blank for what you're hoping for, but just have that caveat that God's got the master playbook. And, and really, if it tarries, it's for the better. Amen. We do have a number of, you know, I, I consider dear friends, brothers and sisters who kind of live under this low-grade disillusionment because they know better than God. Revival should already happen, and I don't know what he's doing. He's, he just doesn't get it. He's like the stranger in town that doesn't really understand anything, just like in the story. And if only he knew what we knew, like we start to do that. And I want to assure you, he is so smart. And his redemptive plan is so many times greater than what we're thinking but we just have to realign our hearts to, okay, what I wanted didn't exactly happen the way I thought. I trust that what God's going to do is better than what I would have planned. And I thought it was going to happen now, but it, I, it's better that it tarries. When the breakthrough does come and it will be worth it, I know it. So carry that in your heart. Jesus wanted to surface in Cleopas and in his companion 
we don't get the name of the other disciple, he wanted to surface these disillusionments and these sadnesses because they were based on an insufficient understanding of Scripture. They were thinking redemption was going to happen in fullness immediately instead of gradually over time so that more people could come to know Jesus. And, and that's a lot. I deal with this a lot. People are thinking, Jesus, come back right now. Well, it's like, what if he wants to come back later so more people get to know him? Have you thought that far? Well, he just needs to come back right now. Okay, I want him back too, but he's God. We need to respect that he's going to come back when he comes back. And when he comes back, like no one else can get saved. So that's weighty. We need to really think through what, what are you saying? Uh, I want Jesus to come back. Yeah, I'm in agreement. But the timing of that's very significant. He may want to tarry so billions more can be in heaven forever. Like that's weighty. I think there's this kind of propensity now. We're getting impatient. So we just start throwing out terms like, yeah, we want revival and Maranatha, Lord, and come quickly. And it's like, I'm in to that as long as it's biblical. Like I'm in to revival God's way. I'm into Maranatha on his timing. I don't, I don't want to get into this thing where I'm trying to hurry up God or think that I can or I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I just think, let me just say it this way. Aren't you glad that redemption was not completed when Cleopas wanted? <laughs> we wouldn't be here if it was done right then. And so Cleopas is like, oh, we were, oh, yeah. And, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that you waited till 19, you know, 99 for me to get saved. And you, sir, or a couple years before that, I think. <laughs> you know, it's like, is it okay that he does his way so that like we can come to know Jesus? There are so many millions of people that if the Lord tarries and the church is faithful, they'll come to know Jesus. And we really have to, you know, we can't just start getting impatient and therefore going, you know, okay, like let's, let's get them back to earth so that we're more comfortable. And, you know, I, you hear my heart on that. This is weighty stuff. So, you know, we need to respect that Jesus has his ways and they are best. So the takeaway the, the main takeaway on that, and I just have a couple more points and then we'll wrap up, but takeaway number one, let's have a broad, flexible hope. Not this narrow, kind of me-focused, my doctrine-focused, like, I want it to happen now. Like, let's have a broad, let's have a flexible hope that kind of puts into that the, the, the fact that we acknowledge God's plans are gonna, unfold, they're, they're gonna un unfold in ways beyond what we thought. And we're going to be wrong sometimes. And we're going to have to expect the unexpected. The early disciples missed it. We will miss it. And so let's just kind of keep that in our mind a little bit. Number two, this is, that was the first takeaway. That was the longest point. Number two, I want to draw our attention to the word all just for a moment here. Because Jesus mentions, as he's giving this greatest Bible study ever, I would have loved to have been there. He's walking with them, and it says he begins to, um, he says, oh, oh, foolish ones. And I think he says it was such tenderness. Oh, oh, that was foolish. <laughs> you know, kind of a little chuckle in his, you know, oh, foolish ones, so slow to believe. Of, you know, I'm thinking, I taught you so much, and it's still hard for you. And he does the same with us. With such love in his heart, he says, slow of heart to believe in all 
that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures. All, all, and all. Which means all. (laughs) What's significant about that? Okay, there's a few things that are significant. Number one, Jesus taught Jesus from Genesis through Malachi. When it says all the scriptures, we're talking about the Old Testament scriptures. He talked, you know, Moses' writings, there's Genesis through Deuteronomy. The prophets, Isaiah through Malachi, and then as if that wasn't enough, he does clarify, he expounded to them in all the scriptures. That is the entire Old Testament. We think if I want to learn about Jesus, we go to the Gospels or we go to the book of Revelation or something like that. Jesus taught himself in Genesis through Malachi. How incredible is that? If we want to know about Jesus, here's the main takeaway. We read from Genesis through Revelation. If you want to know Jesus, read Genesis through Revelation. Read your whole Bible. Read all the scriptures because he's in Genesis 1.1. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That one that spoke in Genesis 1.1 is the one speaking in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 1. That's God. (laughs) That's God. It's kind of like, what? That person that was on the earth 2,000 years ago has lived for eternity. And he was there with the Father at the beginning. That's the same person. And so we, we want to make that connection. And a lot of people today, the reason I bring this up is because we've entered into a day in which people kind of have their, their favorite verse, Jesus, or their favorite meme, Jesus. Or, you know, it's like, you know, my favorite verse and my favorite meme put together, that's the Jesus I follow. And so there's this sort of a, a really... Um, uh, what's the word, insufficient or uh, almost an anemic understanding of what this man is truly like. I mean, this is the uncreated God who's existed for eternity and will always exist for eternity. I mean, he, he is so beyond our brain. We can't reduce him to just John 3.16, although that's significant. He's the God who so loved the world he gave his son. Like, that's important, but he's Genesis 1.1 through the book of Revelation. That whole book, the entire 66 book, that's about Jesus. And so if we want to know him with greater depth, we got to find him in the entire Bible. I did a couple years ago, I did a, a, a series on angels, and part of that study was we looked at the angel of the Lord, who most scholars would agree that's the Christ in the scriptures before he was, you know, human, before he was incarnated in, in the Gospels. That's what it talks about. And so we see these these, uh, you know, epiphanies, if you want to call it, we see the Lord show up throughout the scriptures, even before the gospels. It's all about Christ. And so there's prophecies of Christ. There's apparitions of Christ. There's, you know, what Christ said, you know, the, the psalmist in Psalm 22 says things that Jesus said. And, you know, there's all these references that if we want to get to know the real Jesus of the Bible, we have to read the whole Bible. And, and that's what one of my true chief burdens in life is to 
really compel people to read the whole Bible over and over and over because you'll find Jesus there. You'll find God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cover to cover. And if we only read just little snippets here and there, we won't really understand the story or, or the main character, which is Jesus. And I liken it to, you know, your, what's your favorite book? You know, what, what's, you know, a story that you've always liked? Think of, you know, I just totally make, make up a book, something that you've read lately or something that's a, a story. Uh, if you only read like a few pages of it, you'd really not be able to appreciate, you know, what it was really about. You'd know a few things. You know, let's make up the great Gatsby you know, if you read page 82 and 107, you, you might know a few things about Gatsby <laughs> or the story. You just wouldn't know it, though. You wouldn't know the main character. You wouldn't know the story. Uh, you know, pick any book. I read Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the actual original book this year. And, man, it's a neat story. It's better than the movie, actually. Um, if you only read chapter 1 and, like, 7... Just, you wouldn't really appreciate it like if you read the whole story. And that's what we have to do with the Bible. We really need to read it over and over, cover to cover, because the Jesus we serve is not just one verse Jesus. He's Genesis through Revelation Jesus. And we learn so much detail about his plans and his heart and who he is if we read the whole Bible. And if we only go, oh, I'm kind of not really into that. I'm just, I love John 3.16 and I saw this meme on Facebook once that I thought was cool and that's my Jesus. Well, the real Jesus is the one in the Bible. When Jesus taught himself, he went to the Bible. He went Genesis to Malachi. That's what he had. And now, of course, we, we study the New Testament as well. So we read. So just go, go deep into those things and you will know him more. That's the number two takeaway. Prayerfully study the whole Bible. If Jesus, to teach himself, went to all Scripture, we must do the same. We got we to gotta acknowledge that's, that's, it's like, okay, if Jesus does a Bible study, what does he do? He taught the whole Scriptures about himself. Okay, good enough for me. Okay. That's how he does it. It's probably pretty good. It's like, Lord, what's your program? I just teach the whole Bible, and I just show Jesus in the whole Bible. Oh, okay, all right. Good enough for us. Now, one other thing I want to touch on is he does say this because, again, Cleopas and his companion, they thought it was going to happen a certain way, and they may have been a lot like many today who, who just can't imagine that suffering is a part of God's redemptive plans. There is a huge contingent today in the church that totally nullifies any and all suffering. And, and it's unfortunate because we all suffer. And so what do you do when you're suffering? <laughs> you know, if you're thinking, well, it's not really for good Christians to suffer, only bad Christians, then you're going to be condemned. Jesus sets the record straight, and he says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Ought not the Christ to have suffered? It's almost like he's saying, don't, don't you know the Bible? Like, th this is what the Christ, the prophesied Messiah, had to go through these things. This was part of the plan. And if the Christ suffers, how much more are those who follow him, who want to be like him? We're going to go through seasons of suffering and trial and tribulation. It's just going to happen. And so Jesus, Jesus didn't suffer so we wouldn't have to. He, he suffered to give us an example of how to persevere and how to do it well. And how to, you know, be loving. I mean, if you can be 
literally hanging on the cross, dying, and still talking to disciples, say, oh, you, take care of my mom, oh, you know, and then die. It's like, how loving is that? In your greatest pain, in your deepest anguish, you're, you're about to take on the sin of the world, and you're thinking to take care of your mom, and so you give John the care of your mom. It's like, what? You know, he showed us not that we wouldn't suffer or go through hardship in life, or, you know, things of that nature. No, he, he gave us the example. And I do think, I do think this is one of the more important points uh, uh, just of our Christian journey is, is to understand that we will go through seasons where we'll suffer and we'll experience trial and tribulation. In fact, you know, you remember Saul's story at the road to Damascus, I mean, we don't always have these huge, powerful moments, but in Acts 9.16, God told Saul the things he would suffer. Very clear, Acts 9.16, look it up. And then Saul went on to teach people, it is by many tribulations we enter into the kingdom. So he was told that by God, and then he went and taught others, look, if we're going to enter into the things of God, there is a tribulation that's going to happen. There are trials. There are just dif- there's difficulties. And I've, I've tried to help people with this over the years. It, we do a disservice if we don't believe this. Because there will come a day, you know, when I was young once and everything was great, and I was never worried about anything because mom and dad took care of everything. Like, I, I could not connect to this at all. I would have appreciated someone helping me understand that. But when you live a little bit, and then you go through some financial difficulties and then a relationship breaks down, then you, you know, have a health problem. You're like, oh, what do I think about all this? Well, what do we think? Jesus said, they're going to come. And the reason they come, we have a hint given to us. Paul gives it to us, of course. He wrote most of the New Testament. In Romans 5, 4 when we persevere through suffering, our character deepens. And when our character deepens, this is interesting. It says this, look it up, Romans 5, 4. We have a stronger hope. It's interesting how it all connects like that. When we persevere through things like difficulty, trial, tribulation, and suffering, we get deeper character. We get stronger. We grow and mature. And when we mature, the very thing I'm talking about tonight, which is hope, gets stronger. It gets clearer. It gets healthier. We no longer have a hope that's contingent on what I want happening. It's whatever comes. God, whatever you send my way, I'm in. If the revival comes or doesn't come. If I have a miracle ministry or a completely unseen ministry, if you know health or not health, Hard, easy, whatever comes my way, God, I'm in. If, if, that's, if that's the direction we're heading, you know that the character's deepening. A lot of people, though, they're fair-weather Christians, okay? If it's easy, if it's fun, if I hear the right things, I'm in. Well, eventually, a pandemic hits, or the, the economy crashes, or someone dies, real life hits. Where are we then? We have, to, we have to do people, uh, you know, not a disservice. We've got to tell people, look, life will be hard. Following Jesus is not always easy. I know people who live in, uh, you know, high persecution areas. 
And I, 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 you know, there's, depending on where you're at in the world, it's not easy to be a Christian. But we, we have to be in even when it's hard. And we have to help people understand. Like, it might be easy this year. Next year could be totally different. We don't know. When you interact with the hyper-faith crowd, which I'm not against hyper-faith. I like, like, please have as much faith as possible. But we have to include. You can't just take Bible verses out and call it hyper-faith. You know, faith. If Jesus suffered... We'll, we'll go through suffering. See, I'm not saying we're all going to die on the cross. Of course not. You know, some, some will be martyred, some won't. We don't, uh, we don't wake up in the morning and say, you know, Lord, I want to suffer all day. Like, it's nothing like that, but we accept that it may come. We accept that it's an, it's an inevitability, you know, and we have to navigate it. And so these are some of the lessons. These are some of the revelations Jesus was sharing on the road to Emmaus. And I think, you know, he shared a few statements, but like he was taking these guys to school. And I'm sure, you know, it says later on in the story, it says they were telling the story to the other disciples. Like, you will not believe this. We were on the road and this guy snuck up. It turns out it was Jesus. You know, they're telling the story. And as they're unpacking it, you know, they're talking about this stuff. He told us that, you know, the Christ had to suffer. And he told us, like, you know, you know about redemption. And he corrected, you know, all, all our theology. And you know that the very things we're talking about tonight, they were talking about. They were unpacking. Well, I must have missed it because, you know, we thought this. But this is what happened. And, you know, today I was on a prayer walk. And I am going to land this plane very quickly here. I've gone four minutes over out on a prayer walk and it was just struck me in a fresh way I kind of laughed how there was a point in the middle of the book of Acts where the apostles I mean so the leadership of the church the apostles found out one day that Gentiles could get saved it just just one day someone came back and said you know we were praying and the Holy Spirit came on the Gentiles and then they concluded well they can be saved too I guess like that, that had to hit them for the first time. And I'm thinking to myself, man, we've come a long way. Like that's incredible. There was a day, I mean, think about that. Gentiles are 99.9% of planet Earth. Okay, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. There's about 15 million Jews alive today and there's 8 billion non-Jews. And so, I mean, I'm thinking they, they knew so little and yet they were chosen by God to lead. And so there's so many things that we're going to not really grasp. But God's going to still use us. And so I'm going to bring this to an end here. But wherever we're at on this you know, walk with Christ, whatever we're dealing with, let's let him broaden our hope. Let's let him give us fresh insight and revelation. There may need to be adjustments in our theology, but you know what? He's faithful. There's, there's nobody that has it perfectly understood. I certainly don't. In 20 years of following the Lord, I have, I have been wrong so many times, and I'm glad he's so gracious to us. But let's just let's let him instruct us, surface those questions that need to be surfaced so we continue to learn, continue to grow. In Jesus' name, I'm going to just pray once more here. Heavenly Father, I've just shared what I felt like you put on my heart for this uh, gathering tonight, Lord. And ultimately, we see ourselves in this story. We see ourselves sort of walking through life in our walk with you. And Lord, sometimes we just don't even know what's going on.
And then you kind of come up and, and you begin to do what you do, Lord. And I just pray, God, whatever you're doing in hearts um, in this season, Lord, whatever you're doing, I just say yes and amen, Lord. Help us to be a people who has a true biblical hope. Not just a hope of what I want you to do, but what you want to do, God. Lord, help us to see you in the whole Bible. Help us to see you in all the prophets, all the scriptures, all the writings of Moses, all the letters, all the revelation of scripture. Help us to see and follow and worship the Jesus of the entire Bible, not just our favorite parts of the Bible. Heavenly Father, we want to love your Son more than ever before. We want a faith and a hope and a love that is truly rooted in Scripture, that is truly breathed upon by our Holy Spirit. And I pray that these words that I've shared would be a means of grace and encouragement in the the hearts and lives of my brothers and sister, Lord. And for those who've tuned in on Facebook or those who will hear the recording, let much grace be given to hearts, Lord. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.